Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, team. Well, good morning, church. How are you? Man, great. It's good to hear everybody here today. Man, great day of worship. Uh, man, we got more to come. Hey, while those baskets are being passed, I want to give you an update on Give United. Uh, most of you guys know we're in our Give United emphasis for the month of September. Uh, and if you're on our text thread, you already saw the good news. We texted out last week. Uh, we are already over our budgeted needs for the month. Uh, and so, which is very exciting. We can give the Lord praise for that. Look at that. We have this Sunday and next Sunday where everything that comes in, we pour back out, uh, out onto the communities. We're already $23,000 over our budgeted needs. Uh, and so listen, if you're new, this is how this works. Look, if you're, if you're tithing, just, you don't have to give extra. The goal is not to give extra. The goal is just to be faithful and just say, I want to show you how generous we can be. But if you're not doing that yet, man, try it for one month and say, hey, I want to give to that full level of tithe. And man, let's see what the Lord is about to do through us. It has been exciting out and we have more things to share, including uh, another one of our partners uh, that we want to reintroduce to you today. Uh, we have Jenny Waltman here with us today, who is the CEO and founder of Grace Klein, uh, which may, some, maybe many of you guys are familiar with. Many of you guys are already volunteering with, uh, but we're so excited to have you back, Jenny. Uh, and really not not only to tell us what's happening right now, but to tell those of us who don't know a little bit about what Grace Klein does. So tell us what Grace Klein does. So we share resources to build relationships for the purpose of restoration in individuals, families, and entire communities. And that starts with us all being reconciled and restored to God. And then we can share Jesus with everyone that we serve. And we do that primarily through food support. So, so what, what does that mean, food support? Who, who are you helping and, and how do you help them? Okay. So what we, we've realized there's two major problems, and it's so cool when one problem can be a solution to another problem. When does that happen? But 40% of the food that we, uh, we waste, 40% of the food we produce in the United States, when one in four Alabamians are food insecure. So we're able to use an app uh, that's called app.foodrescue.us, where you guys can help us rescue that food and reallocate it from a trip to land, landfill to the plates of the food insecure in our communities. So, uh, and you guys have been doing this since, what, 2009, I think is when you guys started, and the, the scope has really exploded. Uh, who, who are you helping, and how far does this reach? So we started with 58 families in October of 2009, and today, every week, we feed approximately 19,000 people through 18 drive through locations and 160 food distribution partners. And last year, we were able to reach the food insecure in 41 of the 67 Alabama counties. So it's so amazing because all those people, we get to share the love and hope of Jesus. Yeah, and tell, you mentioned that, like when people come through drive throughs what's that encounter like for them? So when they come, we're able to pray for every single person. Actually, some people just come for the prayer. Uh, they get a box of food too, but they'll tell us, I had a mistake at work. I need prayer. I think I'm going to get fired. Please pray for me. And they'll tell us that um, they come more for the prayer than for the food after they start to experience Jesus in their lives. A lot of people have never prayed about anything. We have these kids or adults praying. And one time this 12-year-old this prays for people and then God answers the prayer. He'll tell them like, in a month, you're going to have what you need. He's so prophetic. And then it'll happen. It'll freak the people out. And then they'll come back and say, where's that kid and how did he do that? 
And then we get to tell them about Jesus and they want to hear about him. Amazing. Now, listen, uh, we had this in the first show. How many of you guys have volunteered at Grace Climb before? Anybody raise your hand? Uh, yeah, we have some in the room. We had a lot in the first service as well. Uh, if folks wanted to come and help you at any of these distribution centers, how would they get connected with what you guys are doing? So you can just go to volunteer.feedbhm.org and you can serve through being a food rescue hero. You can help at one of our drive throughs You can help with one of our community homes maintenance. We host teams from all over the country and the world that come in and serve in Birmingham. If you have gifts like you're an artist or you like admin, really whatever you want to do and what you like to do, we want you to do the gifts that God's given you. Because when you do what you're made to do, you love it and you keep coming back. Amen to that. And listen, Jenny's going to be right here, down here at the front at the end of the service. So if you want to get connected, man, come and get connected. Uh, one last thing. I know you guys have a, a big project. You got a new space that you moved into? So yeah, God gave us a new space at, um, right off exit six on Morgan Road. Morgan United Methodist started, share, they shared their whole education building with us and their whole basement. So we've been working on the renovations. We were looking at a six million capital campaign. And now um, with their blessing, we are down to a 420,000 capital campaign instead of having to raise so much money, which is such an awesome way to steward God's kingdom resources. And we still need about 300,000 for that project, but we've had over a thousand people serve on that campus and we're able to not only fuel our food distribution partners with food, but we have a diaper and wipes program with Bundles of Hope, which y'all partner with as well. And we have a give and take room so you can take clothes that you need and leave clothes that you don't need. We help with school supplies and Christmas. We have a We Sew Love initiative if you like to sew or cut or trace. There's all the different options where you can help give holistic care to these food and secure families. Listen, they're clearly doing a ton of great work. And uh, look, look, you guys have been one of our Give United partners for years, and so you kind of know how this works. It's a $5,000 cap uh, on the grants that we normally give, but we were praying about all these things. We knew about your, your project. Uh, and so instead of giving you the 5000 grant we would normally give you, we want to triple that to $15,000 and just go ahead and give it to you today. And, and so that is finally for you for Grace Klein. Thank and you. Thank you for what and you're I have doing. And I have to tell y'all. Yeah. There, yeah, and let me, before she says this, now here's the thing. If you come in first service, you get to see the surprised faces. Um, she already knew she was going to get this because this happened in the first service. Uh, but you guys get something that the first service did not get. So this was very cool. So I was kind of in shock in the first service, so I didn't say anything. But on Friday, we made a payment towards the renovations of that building for $15,000. That's Jesus. Amen to that. Amen to that. Listen, we want to take an opportunity to pray for Jenny and everything going on there. So join with me in prayer if you would. Heavenly Father, um, what a joy to see our sister and all the things that you're doing through her and all of the people uh, on her team, all of the, the volunteers who come from all over the state uh, to respond to your call to reach out and serve those in need. And Father, not simply with, with food, but with love, with care, with prayer, and really just your gospel. And so we pray a blessing upon Jenny, her organization, God, this, this whole endeavor and all of the places it finds itself. God, that you would continue to provide all the food that we need to be able to pass out. You would continue to bring those who are needy, Lord, so we can put those things together, Lord, and then at every single encounter, you would be lifted up and you would be glorified. 
God, we are so excited to see what you have already done. Thank you for letting us be a part of what you're doing and, and even just providing a small part of what this building is doing. We're just so grateful to be a part of your plan and building your kingdom. But we pray a blessing upon Jenny, upon Grace Klein, and all of the work they do. And in Jesus' name we prayed and said, amen. Amen. Can we honor her one more time? Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Grab your Bibles now, if you will. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, is where we're going to be this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Uh, as we continue our treasure sermon series, uh, hopefully you got a copy of God's Word. If not, maybe grab a device. If not, look on with somebody else. I bet they'll be nice to you. They'll be fine to look on. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 is where we'll be in just a moment. While you guys are turning there, I wonder if this has ever happened to you. Have you ever found yourself headed to the grocery store and you only need two things? But by the time you get to the checkout counter, it is like an entire cart full and you have bags and bags of food. How many of y'all this has happened to you? Yes? Yeah. I, 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 can't, I don't understand why this is happening. I went in for two things and now I have all of this stuff and it's costing all of this money and I cannot believe it. And look, the problem is not simply inflation, that it costs more to do that. Why am I buying all this stuff when I only needed two things? And the more I thought about it, I figured out the problem is because I went to the grocery store when I was hungry. You ever done that? This is a problem. Now I get the amen. All right, so. <laughs> Look, if you go to the grocery store hungry, this is a bad deal. This is why people tell you, don't go to the grocery store hungry because you're going in just for two things. But as you're walking down the aisles, you're going, well, I could eat that and I could eat that and I could eat that and I could eat that. Let's just get it all. And by the time you leave, you're leaving with all of this stuff. But if you would just go to the grocery store when you're full, strange thing, you don't buy everything off the shelves. You typically only get the things that you went in to get which teaches us something about how we use our resources. Listen, if I find myself in a place of contentment, I tend to not to need so many other things. But if I walk in a state of discontent, I want everything. And I end up trying to grab more than I actually need. Look, we are in this treasure sermon series and we're learning something that Jesus is trying to teach us. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So there's this link between our money and our hearts. And that link is there whether we like it or not, right? The what, we, what our hearts are going to influence how we use our money. That's the positive side. But there can also be a negative side. Our, our treasure, our money can actually influence our hearts. And if you're not aware of that link... Well, this can lead you down a dangerous road. And look, I know it's uncomfortable to talk about it. Many people, they just, they don't want to look at this link. They don't, they don't like talking about this link. And as I'm looking at you now, I realize that I'm preaching to the choir because most of the people who are really uncomfortable about that stopped coming to this series about week two. Uh, but, but you're here in week six, so praise God, right? Maybe they're listening on podcast. Hi, guys. Uh, and so uh, listen, that link is there and you cannot ignore it. If you do, you do so at your peril. And so this morning, we're going to look at this aspect of contentment. Because if I find myself in a place of contentment, listen, that absolutely influences how I use my resources. But if I'm not content in the Lord, that can lead you down a path of destruction. So look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Uh, here's a little bit of setup before we read the verses. Uh, we're at the end of the letter of 1 Timothy. Paul has been giving some instruction on church order and a couple other things. 
but there's a, a few problems he's trying to help Timothy out with. Timothy has been sent to be kind of the major pastor of Ephesus, and there are some false teachers in the church. And Paul's trying to give him some help by countering these false teachers. And one of the things these false teachers have gotten into is this idea that godliness is a means of financial gain. Uh, I guess this would be the early form of health and wealth where they would say godliness is great because it helps you get money. It's a pathway towards financial gain. And Paul is really pushing back on that. Look what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now let's skip down to verse 17. Paul will kind of broaden out his, uh, his topic as he's getting towards the end of the letter, but he returns to this topic in verse 17. Verse 17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, the storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. All right, so in these passages, Paul is giving us a warning but also a pathway to joy. There's absolutely a warning here. There's something we've got to keep our eyes open, our heads up about. But he's also giving us an invitation. It's a pathway to joy that he's inviting us to walk. And that pathway is contentment. Look at verse 6. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He's actually using a play on words here. That word for gain in verse 6 can be translated as profit. So for everybody who's wanting financial profit, he says, well, here's real profit. It's godliness with contentment. You, you want real kind of, kind of a profit? You want real uh, riches? Okay, it comes with godliness, with contentment, which begs the question, am I content? And if so, why? This is something I really tried to think through this week. And you can't stop at the service. You have to kind of dig down. There's many places in my life I'm, I'm very content, but it's a different question to ask yourself, why am I content? What brings me contentment? Is it because I am simply living in the Lord or is it because I enjoy the house that I live in or the car that I drive or the ability to buy certain things or the job that I have or a certain circumstance? And, and when you really begin to dig down deep, we might find that our contentment doesn't flow from our godliness and our life in Christ, but our contentment can flow from the things of this world. And that is a recipe for destruction. Paul here is being very bold. He says, you have got to keep your heads up about this. This is a, this is a snare. This is a trap. Why? Why? Because there are, there are different lies that the world is going to give us about life. And if you're not careful, these, these worm their way into our hearts. Let me give you three of them. Three lies that we're all going to have to contend with when it comes to this world. The first one is this, that the things that I buy can bring me joy. That the things that I buy can actually bring me joy. Look at verse 7. It says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of the world. You can't take it with you. 
What Paul is reminding himself is like, look, when you and I were born, we came here with nothing. We owned nothing. We were completely and totally dependent. And that is how we're going to leave this world. No matter how much you have amassed, no matter how much you, you have or you've gained or you've earned, you can't take any of it with you. It all goes back into the box. We leave this world in the same way that we came to this world with nothing. And so look, if your contentment is coming from the things of the world, that's dangerous. Why? Because you're going to lose it. If you find your contentment in the things that this world gives, that you, you cannot take that with you. Paul, though, is instead saying, find your contentment in the Lord. Why? Because you can take that with you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter when you, you end this earthly life, the Lord says the contentment you have in Jesus Christ, you absolutely get to keep. You get to keep it forever. You will always live in him. You will always have life in him. Don't find your contentment in this world because you'll lose it, but instead find your contentment in the Lord. But that is not what we believe as Americans. That is not what we are taught as Americans. To say that you cannot find joy in possessions is an American heresy because we are taught at all points you must buy things to be happy. And I mean, we are taught that. Don't they keep telling us that? Hey, listen, consumerism, this is what keeps the economy going. We gotta get out there, gotta keep buying, gotta keep spending. This is what props up the economy. This is what keeps everything going. If people stop doing that, that's when the economy starts to tank. We have got to buy, 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 get, 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 spin, spin, spin. That's how you keep these things moving. Furthermore, we are indoctrinated in this by all the media that we watch. Do you know that every single advertisement and commercial you have ever seen in your entire life is based on a single idea? Every advertisement is based on this idea. You would be happier if you just had this. You're unhappy. You didn't know it, but you're unhappy. Look at you, unhappy people, all of you. You know how you'd be happy? Just buy this. If you had this, got this, if you got this in large quantities, you would be happier. Every single advertisement is telling us you're not happy. You'd be happier if you bought this. We hear hundreds of these every day. And so this idea can start seeping in. Okay, I would be happier if I just had this, if I had this kind of house, this kind of heart, if I get this kind of clothes, this kind of decorations, this kind of vacation, if I just had these things, this is what would make me happy. But it's not true. It's just not. Instead, look, look at verse eight. And notice what he says here. It says, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. That mess with Anybody? Anybody? That verse, you kind of go, mm, well, maybe? Like, I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I guess, I guess I w I'd be okay. I don't know if I could say content, right? I mean, if I have food and clothing, that's good and all, but wouldn't it be better if I had food and clothing and some other stuff? You know, like, I, I mean, wouldn't that be better, right? I mean, I think I'd be more content, like, if I had these things. And, and, and that's when you begin to see it's in you. That's when we begin to recognize, oh, this is, this is in me more than I want to recognize. That's in there. I can't just be content with food and clothing. I can't be just content with what I have. I, I need these other things. It's this lie, this idea that says that the things I buy will bring me contentment, but it's not true. Here's the thing. If you're not content now with what you have, you won't be content with more. If you're not content right now with everything you have, you won't be content with any more. It doesn't work that way. Look, if you've got marriage trouble and you said, well, it's because we live in a small house. If we just had a bigger house, we wouldn't have all these marriage troubles. You're going to buy the bigger house. Guess what? You're still going to have marriage trouble. You just now have more square footage to avoid each other. That's it. <laughs> but you, you hadn't solved any problems. Why? 
Because getting the thing doesn't fix any problems. All right, so buying things doesn't actually help us. I've got to find my contentment elsewhere. Here's the second lie that the world teaches us. It is this, that what I have, I will always have. That what I have right now, I will always have. Look at verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. This is something we saw time and time again in the book of Proverbs this past summer, that riches are uncertain. It's great when you have them, but you cannot count on them being there forever. But many of us, we have this idea, whatever I have, I've gotten it now. I have arrived and I get to keep whatever I have. Whatever house I have, whatever car I have, whatever money you have, whatever lifestyle you have. Listen, I used to be here, but now I'm here. I might even be able to make it better, but I certainly won't go down. What I have right now, I will get to keep. And that is a lie. We have zero guarantee that that is the truth. In fact, riches can come and go at a whim. Things can come and go in ways that you did not expect. Look, you know that deep down which is why we keep buying all of this insurance. I am shocked and perplexed at the number of forms of insurance available in the world. I didn't even know I could have this many forms of insurance. I don't even know what I'm doing with all these forms of insurance. It used to be simple. You had like home, car, health, right? No, there's 44 more forms of insurance you gotta have. I thought my home insurance was enough, but now they say, oh no, you gotta have a different policy if you wanna have something for your washing machine or your, your refrigerator. That's a different insurance policy. All right, I gotta get that one. What about, well, I get this thing in the mail. Hey, you gotta have a different insurance policy for the water line between your house and the street. I thought that was in my homeowner policy. Oh no, you gotta have a different water policy for the, just the line between your house and the street. Great, I'm gonna go ahead and get that. But you gotta have a different policy for your sewer line. I just bought that, it's on the water line. Oh no, it's a different policy. You gotta have a different set of insurance for your sewer line from your house to the street, another one for your external structures. If you're going to have that, if you get extra toys or anything like that, you got to have the insurance on those as well. What about health insurance? Used to be you had health insurance, but no, now you got to have health insurance and then you can have supplemental health insurance on top of that. And then you can have gap insurance on that. That's what the duck says. You got to have all these different types of insurance that tell you about all the different things you got to have. You got to have all this kind of stuff. You got to have the insurance over here and over here. And listen, we, we buy it all. Why? Because we know that there's going to be dangers that might get taken away from us. It's, I just got to buy all this insurance. But you can't buy insurance for everything. And at a moment, things can change. With a phone call, with an accident, with a job loss, your, your, your company gets bought out. You find out that you're going to have to take care of your aging parents. It's a diagnosis that changes the way you work or your spouse works or, or the way other people work around you. Or, or it's a loved one and now you're going to have to spend everything to help them. You thought your lifestyle was going to be one way and now it's going to be different. What we have, we are not guaranteed to keep. And if you put all your hope in riches, if you put your hope in your stuff, then the moment it goes away, your contentment goes with it. And you can't get it back until you get more stuff, until you get back to that place. And so now you have to work to the bone to get back to that place, but your contentment is gone because you can't find lasting contentment in the things of this world. You can't keep what you have. Here's the third one, and it's the, the, the most dangerous of them all. It's this, I am self-sufficient. I am self-sufficient. This is the greatest danger of wealth. If God has blessed you with wealth, 
please understand, this is the greatest lie that the enemy will try to give to you. You are now self-sufficient because you're good. You got it. Got a fully funded retirement. You can take care of things. You can buy what you want. You can take care of what you want. You don't have to be dependent on anybody else. You're not beholden to anybody else. You can take care of it. It is all on you. You say, Adam, I got it. I do not have to rely on the Lord to provide for me. I don't want to rely on the Lord to provide for me. I will take care of myself. I prefer to take care of myself, but I am good. This is what riches just tempts us to believe. I am fine, which means that God now is no longer my provider. I can put him over here in the advice column where God can advise me, but I don't have to listen to that because I'm calling the shots and I take care of things. Now look, you may think that's a great way to live. I, I count that terrifying. And look, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that is how you live. It is all on you. And others of you demand that. So now, Adam, I want it that way. Seriously? Seriously, have at it. You can keep it because you live in a world you do not control. You live with a future that is unknown. You live around people that you cannot control. You live in a system that you cannot control. You, you live among circumstances you cannot control. You have a body you cannot control. You have a life you can't control. And if you think you can walk through life thinking you're gonna be fine all on your own, have at it. That sounds terrifying to me. I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. If it's all on me, to handle that, there's no way. And some of us are saying, no, you got it. With riches, you're good. You can take care of yourself and it is absolutely untrue. And the world will make sure we learn that lesson. But look, these things are subtle. These beliefs, these are not the kind of beliefs that we say, this is what I believe. Nobody does that. Nobody comes out loud and says, I believe I am self-sufficient. I believe that things can give me joy. and can, Nobody says that. They're subtler than that. Can you imagine if people actually did that? Uh, imagine if at the end of the service, I brought a couple up to you. Hey, I want to introduce to you a brand new couple, John and Jane. They are here today to declare to us they don't need us at all. They're fine. <laughs> They're good on their own. They've got it all together and they need nobody. They're all fine. Nobody does that, right? Nobody comes out and says these things out loud. It's subtle. These are just like background beliefs but they drive us, they, they push us. And if you don't examine your heart, these things might be lurking in there. You say, but yeah, but Adam, it, it can't be all that big a deal. Of course, it's a big deal. Look at verses nine and 10. It says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Look at verse nine. It's a temptation and a snare. The enemy is out to get you. This is literally going to trip you up. It is a temptation that draws your heart where you actually want to do the thing that's going to destroy you. This is why you gotta be on your guard. You can't just traipse through life because if you do, you will be drawn into this trap. Furthermore, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Quick time out. Let's go ahead and clear up something here. You might have heard this early before that the love of money is the root of all evil, right? You might have heard that. It's kind of an aphorism. That's the way the King James translated it. Uh, the, I wouldn't really go with this translation. Why? There's not a definite article in the Greek where it says the uh, root of all evil. It's really one of the roots of all evil. And also Paul talks about this in multiple places where he's kind of being hyperbolic, but he's talking about a lot of different things here. Uh, so it's not the only root of all evil, but 
let's be clear, we're really not softening all that much. Look at what the love of money can produce in your life. Just in verses 9 and 10, here are the words that show up. Senseless, harmful, ruin, destruction, evil, wandered from the faith, pierced themselves with many pangs. Well, that doesn't sound good. That's dangerous. So we must take this seriously. That last one, by the way, pierced themselves with many pangs. That might sound weird to modern ears. Uh, that word pierced doesn't mean like a pinprick, okay? This is not getting a splinter. The same word that gets used when Jesus' side was pierced when he's on the cross. Don't think a scratch, think being impaled. Okay, that's what happens when we chase after riches. It literally just runs us through and can destroy us. And you might say, I don't, how, how, how could just the love of money destroy us? In numerous ways. Dare I say the word debt? How many of us are having our lives ruined by debt? Ruled by debt? Because we see something, we don't have the money to pay for it, but we're going to buy it anyway. So I want it anyway. It's a little bit bigger than I thought I was going to get, but I'm going to go ahead and get it now. Then there's something else. I want to get it now. And something else, I want to get it now. And then or, or before you know it now, you're having to pay all the, the, the debt service on, on all of these different things. Whereas before you were just enjoying them. Now you're just having to, to, to keep up with all of these different things. And as the debts pile up, now it's all I can do. I got zero margin to be generous to anybody because all I'm doing is paying off the debts of all these things that I, I thought I wanted and thought I needed. But now I, instead of owning them, they begin to own me and the debt just crushes you. They looked really great on the outside. You know, everything just kind of fell apart. And it happens to people just like us. It happens with the endless upgrade cycle. I gotta have the new thing. Gotta have the new thing. Gotta have the new thing. The thing I have is pretty good. But yeah, but it's last year's model. You gotta have the new thing. You gotta have the new thing. So we gotta get the new thing and we just spin, spin, spin. Buy, buy, buy. Get, get, get. Can't repair. No, you gotta replace. You gotta have these things. You gotta keep up with the Joneses. This idea that I gotta keep up with everybody else. I gotta have what everybody else has. I can't be content until I have what everybody else has. It doesn't work. Look, here's an experiment. If I could take your house, the house that you live in, and I literally pick up your house and I put it on a street where your house is the largest house on the street, you feel awesome. You feel amazing. But if I take that same house and I pick it up and I put it on a different street where your house is the smallest on the street, now it's no longer good enough and I need more. Same house. It gives you the same things, but simply by context. Now I look at it and go, oh, it's not good enough. I gotta keep up with the Joneses. Man, this desire for riches, this desire for more, it can ruin you. It can destroy you. It can pull you away from your faith in Jesus Christ. When we begin to say, but I gotta take care of myself. I gotta be self-sufficient. I cannot trust the Lord. I gotta do this on my own. Okay, that, that can literally destroy you. And so what's the solution? You say, fine, Adam, okay, fine. Get off my back. I get it, six weeks of the series. I'll give more, all right? If I give more, it's all good, right? If I just up my giving, everything's good. We're all good? No, no, actually, that's not the point. Giving more is not the point. It is not about the amount that you give. It is about the heart in which you give it. Remember, it's, it's your treasure. Where your treasure? There your heart will be also. You could give all the money in the world, but if you're not doing it from the right attitude, if you're not doing it from the right heart, there's not gonna be any contentment. There's not gonna be any joy. It doesn't matter if you can just stroke a check. That doesn't fix anything. You gotta look deeper and say, where do I find my contentment? 
Am I finding my contentment in the things of this world? Am I finding my contentment in myself and what I can produce? Or am I finding my contentment in the Lord? Because he's the only one who can truly help me. So Adam, how do you know? Well, look at verses 17 through 19. Look at that again. Look what it says. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, here's an interesting thing. When Paul talks to the rich, he doesn't tell them to divest themselves. Did you catch that? He could. He could have said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. Jesus said that to the rich young ruler. He didn't say it to everybody. And Paul, when he talks to the rich, he doesn't tell them everybody's got to sell their stuff. Look, being rich by itself is not a vice in the same way that being poor is not a virtue. Not in and of itself. It matters about your heart. It matters about how you are interrelating with your money or your lack thereof. Okay, so where is my heart in this? But if you want to know if your heart is getting pulled away, well, he says, hey, let's, let's talk to the rich. Instead of being rich in money, how about you be rich in good deeds? He's, he's making a play on words there as well. But, but here's a couple warning signs. Are we haughty? If you say, well, I, I, I just can't, I, I can't hang out in places like that. I, I can't go to this place unless I have a certain level of amenities. I, I don't know if I really like to hang out with people of a different socioeconomic strata. I get frustrated and upset when people can't spend or buy like I can spend or buy. If you find yourself getting proud or haughty, that ought to be a warning sign. Or if you can't be generous. If it just rankles you, anybody talks to you about giving, anytime somebody mentions giving, this is, oh, I'm just, I, I'm frustrated by it. I'm angry at that. I don't, oh, I don't like, okay, that might, be a, that might be a warning sign in our hearts. Why, why is that? Well, because I gotta take care of me and I gotta do this for myself and I gotta provide for myself. And, and we're, we're just bringing it back to ourselves. If, if I trust in the Lord, well, I don't, I don't have to do that. These are the warning signs for us. Instead, Paul takes us back. He says, no, godliness with contentment, that's great gain. So how do you get contentment? How do we develop contentment in our life? Let me give you four things that I think the Lord would tell us from this passage and from a few others. How the Lord wants us to develop true Christ-centered contentment in our lives. Here's the first. I need to learn to put my faith in the Lord and not in possessions. I need to learn to put my faith in the Lord and not in my possessions, that my contentment, my security would come not from the things that I have, but from the Lord who takes care of me. Many of you guys are probably familiar with Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. How many of y'all heard that verse before? Yeah? If you watch any football, you've seen it. <laughs> They'll put it on their eye black and these like that. I was like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like it's this verse that everybody uses and it's like, I can do anything, right? Uh, the, the weird thing is, is that many people, they don't know the context of that verse. And so let me show you to you. Here's Philippians chapter uh, 4, verses 10 through 13. Paul says this. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Do you see that? He said, I learned this. Don't miss that. This doesn't just happen. This doesn't just occur. I had to learn the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. Because look, Paul went through circumstances. He'd come into some towns and they gave him a hero's welcome. Man, they cheer him on. They say, man, we got this super nice room we made up just for you so you can stay here as long as you like. And then there's other times he gets run out of town with people hurling stones at him as he's leaving. He's literally fleeing for his life. People, people yelling at him the whole time. He's been naked. He's been shipwrecked. He's been hungry before. He's literally been in danger multiple times. And he says, listen, whether I'm in plenty or I'm in want or I'm in abundance or I'm in need, I've been in both. I've learned how to be content. I certainly enjoy these circumstances more than these circumstances, but I can be content in both. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's contentment didn't come from his circumstances. It comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from the amount of his possessions or his lack thereof, but from the Lord. He wasn't excessively destroyed when he lost some things and he wasn't ex excessively secure when he got them. He says, because these things are great when you got them. It's fine when I, I don't, but my contentment comes from the Lord and the Lord alone. Is that where our contentment comes from? I mean, just imagine if the Lord said, hey, you're gonna have a different lifestyle now or you're gonna have a different size house or, or you're, you're not gonna be able to buy some things that, that you've been buying before. You're not gonna be able to do some of the things you're able to do before. I'm sure that would be uncomfortable for all of us, but could we still be content or would we just burn with resentment? Because I, I want those things. Again, okay, that, that, that means that contentment's coming from the world. What if instead I say, no, it, it comes from the Lord? Jesus, I trust you. Here's the second thing. We put our faith in his presence. We put our faith in his presence. Look at Hebrews 13, verses five and six. The writer here is gonna say something almost identical to what Paul says in 1 Timothy. Verse five, it says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? He's saying, listen, don't, don't let the love of money rule your life. Just be content with what you have. Whatever you have, just enjoy it. Because guess what? I will never abandon you. I will never leave you. The God of the universe who knows everything, who owns everything, is with you. It's not all on you. The Lord is with you. What would happen if I put my faith in this, that even as circumstances change and, and things come and go, if my security is in the Lord to say, God, I'm content, you are with me, and I never have to worry about you leaving. In Psalm 23, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before our passage today, David would say this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. God's presence gives me contentment. Even though things aren't perfect yet, even though things are sometimes bad, I can be content. Why? Because the Lord God is with me and he has promised never to leave me. The most oft-repeated promise in all of scripture is this, I will be with you. I will be with you. I am with you. I am with you. What would happen if we actually believed that verse and said, yes, things go up and down, but I, the Lord is with me. And so, Lord, I trust you. 
Instead of finding my contentment in the things, okay, now that I got this, I'm content. Now that I got got this promotion, I'm content. Now that I got this stuff, I'm content. What I said, hey, these are all great. I love them. But even if I don't, the Lord is with me and that is enough. My contentment is in his presence. Here's the third thing. We put our faith in his provision. We put our faith in his provision. Okay, let's just say the quiet part out loud, okay? Here's the problem. I think for many of us, especially in this room, we believe that God will provide for us. I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is this. We don't believe that God would provide for us in the way I desire to be provided for. He'll provide for me, but perhaps not at the level that I really want. It's as if God said, hey, I can get you to point A to point B. And we believe him. We say, yes, God, you can get me from point A to point B. You're going to fly me there, but I bet you're going to put me in coach, and I would just prefer first class. And so, Lord, if it's all the same to you, how about I just pick up the check and I'll take care of it myself? And I start taking care of myself because I just don't believe that God will provide for me to the level that I really want. And even right there, do you see it? There's that belief again. I can't be happy unless I have this level of stuff. I can't be happy unless I have this level of possessions. That's what really makes me happy. And if I had to be in coach, if I had to have something a little less, I couldn't possibly be content. So I'll just go and provide for myself. But look at verse 17. This is where we gotta ask ourselves, do we really believe this? Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Not just provides for you, but richly provides for you. Over and above what we need, certainly over and above what we deserve. The Lord says, I'm not just telling you, I'm gonna give you bread and water. I'm not just giving you subsistence living. He says, no, I want to richly provide for you. Do you believe this? Look, Jesus even said this. He said, listen, look look at the birds. Do you see the birds of the air? Birds are real, by the way. Do you see the birds of the air? I feed them all. Do you know how many birds there are on the planet? I tried to Google this. You ever thought about this? How many birds are on the planet? Here's what I found. Somewhere between 50 billion and 430 billion. Seems pretty wide. I don't know about the accuracy of these numbers. <laughs> but let's take the low one. 50 billion birds on the planet and God feeds them all. You have never seen a bird with a will chirp for food sign. <laughs> feeds them all. No hungry birds. God says, I provide everything. Look at the weeds. The weeds that we yank out of our lawn. And the Lord says, I lavish color on all of these weeds that are here today and gone tomorrow. You don't think I can richly provide for you? God does not promise to make you a multimillionaire. Do you know why? Because that doesn't ensure your contentment. It does not ensure that you would actually find life. Here's what he says. I can provide you with everything to richly enjoy. You can be content in me. Do you believe that he can provide? Here's the fourth and final thing. We need to put our faith that he actually can bring me joy. Same verse, last phrase. He will provide everything richly for you to enjoy. Not to survive, not to get by, but to enjoy. 
Never forget the fact that God invented joy. He invented happiness. He invented fun. He invented pleasure. All of these things are God's inventions, not the invention of the enemy. And the Lord says, I can provide you all things richly to enjoy. He wants you to enjoy the life that you have, but that enjoyment doesn't come through riches. It doesn't come through stuff. It will come through contentment in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. It is the most terrible thing to see so many people who have so much and still are so miserable. You, they have so much more than other people in the world and we still can't find a way to be content. No, 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 but, I, but it's not as big as somebody else's or it's not as good as, as it used to be or I gotta have more. I, I'm not content yet. I gotta, I gotta have more stuff. I gotta hold this and I don't even enjoy the things I have. And the Lord is saying, if you would just come find your contentment in me, I can provide you with everything you need and more that you might enjoy these things. Do you believe that God wants to provide that for you? Or do you demand on trying to provide it for yourself? If you do, you won't find contentment. So what would happen if we came back to the gospel? We came back to him. What if I looked at my life and recognized, do you know who I am? I was knit together in my mother's womb. I don't deserve to be alive, but, but God put me together. He knows my name. He knows every one of my days. He knows all the hairs on my head. He cherishes me. He, put, he makes me in his image. He knows me. And when I got into this world and received all these gifts, I just threw them back at his face and I became a sinner. I rejected him. And instead of getting what I deserve, that same God chased me. He lays aside his glory to come and help me. He lays aside his pleasure to come and help me. He lays aside his very life to come save mine when I don't deserve it. And I can't repay him. And even after he gives me this life, I'm still messing up and I still need his grace and he always gives it. And now I never have to worry about being cast away. I have an eternal security in Jesus Christ. I have life in Jesus Christ. I am known, I am made, I am loved, I am accepted. I am being transformed and I have an eternal life in Jesus Christ that I will never, ever learn. And all this is a gift from the God who loves me. How could I not be content? How could I not be content? And if you're a believer, that's your contentment too. Because that's your story. If you're gonna try to find contentment in this world, you're, you're, you're bound for destruction. But when you and I turn to the Lord and say, God, in you, I have all I need and more. The world comes and goes. Didn't come with anything, can't leave with anything. Man, riches come and go. If I have some, great. If I don't, fine. Because I am content in the Lord Jesus Christ and in all of these things, you can have true joy and contentment with him because godliness with contentment is great gain. So do this one. Bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Are you content? You may not be, but some of you are. And if so, ask this question, why? What makes me content? Is it because I'm in a certain house or in a certain circumstance or, or I have a certain possession or job or power or ability? What, what is it that, that makes you content? There's nothing wrong in any of those things. They're just not gonna last. 
and none of them can, can provide you true contentment. So there's always going to be this constant fear. What if it goes away? What if it changes? Because you can't control that. I can't either. But the Lord says, you don't have to because I do. And I can give you a contentment that doesn't change with the wind, the vagaries of circumstance, the uncertainty of riches. He says, no, you can find true contentment in me. What would happen if today you just, you put your hope in him fully? Stop trying just to be a good person or just trying to, to show up at church or even, even writing a check. What if I get down deeper and say, God, I need to find my contentment in you because you're the only one who can provide it. Put your faith and your hope in him fully today. If you're a believer and you found your heart drawn away by the, the temptations of, of riches, money, the things of this world, even today, can we just lay those aside and say, Jesus, thank you for giving me a contentment that this world cannot. We don't deserve you, but we receive you and we love you. And I find my contentment in you. Just a moment, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing a song in response where you're gonna get to say that to the Lord. God, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Make it a prayer. Don't don't just sing the words. Make it a, a response of your heart to the Lord. So Lord, help us to do that, whether we stand or sit, whether we, we, we kneel at this altar or pray with somebody or just sing at the top of our lungs, Lord, can, can just help us to continue to learn this lesson of being content in you and not in the things of this world. We love you, Lord. Help us. Thank you for providing all we need and more. We find our contentment in you. In your name we pray.